e-longevity, the home of space, crypto, and biotechnology discussion. We're happy that you're here. Today's guest is at the cusp of revolutionizing food production as we know it. Buckle up. It's going to be a great episode. Welcome to the e-longevity podcast, everyone. Today's episode will focus on sustainable living. You know, we're at the precipice of a food revolution. Uh, imagine, if you would, for a moment, a world that's non-dependent on farming for protein, unaffected by climate change, and accessible in harsh environments. Astronauts could cultivate protein-rich foods in the depths of space. That future is becoming a reality. We want to welcome our special guest today, Dr. Artu Lukanen, Senior VP of Solar Foods. Welcome. How are you feeling today, Artu? Hey, Lucas. I'm feeling great. It's a um, extremely sunny and warm afternoon here in Helsinki. Uh, temperatures are approaching 30 degrees centigrade, which is in Fahrenheit about 85 or maybe 90. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. So, so that's great. Yeah, so you're on the other side of the world. Uh, you know, we're here on the East Coast, and we appreciate you making the time to, to be with us at the eLongevity podcast today. So the first thing I want to ask you, this is going to be 10 questions with eLongevity. It's, it's our new segment, so to speak, and we're going to get your whole story, or try to, uh, within 10 questions. So first of all, where are you from, and where did you get your accent from? Ah, uh, okay. So I am I am a native Finnish person, so... Uh... Uh, born in Finland, um, quite close to Helsinki. Um, uh, went to school nearby Helsinki, kind of a suburban town. Um, and uh, my accent—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's a weird accent because I—I've actually studied in the UK, and so I did an exchange year in a in a boarding school in Cambridge when I was sixteen. Um, and if my uncle, who is English, were to hear me speaking in an American accent, he would get really upset. But then I did my post. <laughs> then I did my postdoc in Colorado, in Boulder. Uh, so I lived in in Boulder for a couple of years, and I worked for the National Institute of Standards and Technology over there. Uh, and I guess that sort of turned me into an American. <laughs> <laughs> I read that in your biography. You were there from like two thousand three yeah. to 05. Is that right? That's right. Beautiful place. I mean, Cambridge was great. I loved it. I go there still quite often. But Boulder, given that as a Finn, I, I like skiing a lot. So living right next to the Rocky Mountains was quite special. So I truly, truly enjoyed it. Yeah, I've been to Denver a couple of times. I absolutely love Colorado. Um, so like I said, I mentioned, I read that in your biography that you spent some time there. So how did you get uh, involved or interested in the sciences as as a young Finn uh, growing up, what was it that that sparked that interest for you? I think my interest was sparked through astronomy. So uh, uh, my parents are they are both humanists. My mother is an artist, and uh, uh, my my late father was a philosopher uh, and a very much a humanist person, but in, very interested in sciences. And uh, uh, when I was ten, I as a Christmas present, he gave me a, uh, a telescope, uh, a Newtonian uh, telescope. Uh, and we also had a close family friend who was in a, a professional, he was actually a professor of astronomy at the University of Helsinki. Uh, so when I was at, at about that age, I started reading about, you know, stars and the universe and black holes and all the weird stuff. 
uh, that really got me going. And um, <clears throat> and then I was actually seriously considering a career in astronomy, uh, given that I, I did I have this hobby of uh, amateur astronomy at that time, which, by the way, in Finland, uh, the best time of the year is winter, but it's really cold. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> minus 30 degrees, so... Uh, so I, we, we, we were usually at our, we have like a, com- a cottage outside of Helsinki and during the winter, the lake would freeze over. So you could actually go on the lake. I would set up my telescope over there and then do some astronomy. <clears throat> but anyway, so instead of going to astronomy, actually this family friend of ours who was a professor of astronomy told me that don't go into astronomy <laughs> in Finland. It's mostly cloudy all the time. Um, do physics. Uh, because if you want to become an astronomer, if you do physics, you can always become an astronomer if you've done physics. So I decided that I will do physics uh, in university. Amazing. What, what a, a story you, you painted for us. I can definitely imagine ourselves, you know, on, on the ice looking at stars. It's, it's definitely something that we don't do a lot here in the States, for sure. <laughs> so how did you come in contact with Solar Foods? Because now you're the VP there, but it's also for defense as well can you explain your your position there yeah sure so <clears throat> so before i joined solar foods i was actually for eight years i was the ceo of a a very different kind of company it was it was another vtt spin-off so vtt stands for the technical research center of finland it's like a national laboratory if you wish mm-hmm. uh i worked in a very different department uh um, I was actually a research professor at VTT on micro and nanotechnologies. Uh, we we developed some technology over there that we then spun off to another company, and I, I was one of the founders and the CEO. Uh, did that for eight years, um, and uh, you know, then came the point uh, roughly a year and a half ago when when I decided that now it's time for to do something completely different, and. Uh, Basi Vainikka, who is the CEO of uh, Solar Fruits, was also a former colleague from VTT, so I knew Basi. Uh, I, I also knew Juha-Pekka Pitkänen, who is our CTO and a co-founder as well. Uh, so what happened is that I, I basically then uh, updated my LinkedIn profile that I'm open for work. And uh, mm-hmm. the next day, Basi called me up and said, hey, why don't you come and work for us? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> One day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the reason being that uh, Pasi and Juha-Pekka, for several years, they've had this dream of making food in space. And I actually have done a fair bit of things related to space activities, because when while I was at VTT, uh, I was actually the director of a laboratory that was a ESA, ESA standing for the European Space Agency. Uh, uh, so it was an ESA external laboratory on very different things, but, but we did lots of ESA, you know, projects and instruments for ESA and all these sort of things. Um, also, earlier on my career, I had worked for a Finnish company that actually made flight uh, science instruments uh, for X-ray astrophysics missions. So, so I had this kind of a background in space, uh, working with the agency, working both with NASA and ESA and... Uh, and we were, you know, Solar Foods was at the time already involved in the NASA Deep Space Food Challenge. Um, and they really wanted to, you know, somebody really to take care of that challenge and, you know, work full time on that challenge. And uh, I think that was the, the main motivation for them to uh, then hire me 
into solar foods. I had been following the company for many years, uh, given that I knew Pasi and Juha Pekka, and, and uh, I was just blown away by the stuff that, uh, that they had <laughs> done with the team. Um, so, so it was an easy decision when, when Pasi called me and you know, asked if, if I wanted to join them. Incredible. So just one day, it, it, that's all it took. As soon as, as soon as he saw you, he called you the next day. That's pretty much it, yep. Amazing. So then you got involved with the Deep Space Food Challenge, sponsored by NASA and the Methuselah Foundation, of course. And then you, uh, is that when you created or uh, became acquainted with Soline? Well, I had I had been reading on it, uh, uh, you know, uh, not of course with uh, with uh, ample amounts of time, but I had familiar. Uh, I was familiar uh, about the concept, um, uh, but of course, you know, once I started working for Solar Fruits in April of last year, uh, the, the the initial period was really trying to because as a physicist. Uh, when we're talking about biology, I'm really in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> you know, this is this is not my field. Um, so mm-hmm. so, and it's it's been very interesting uh, just to understand kind of the basic things about how you know these microbes work and what's the metabolic cycle and you know how how does the, everything work. And it's also very technical because if you look at the reactors that we run at Solar Foods, they are really truly like high technology instruments they involve also physics things like sensors and you know data acquisition computers and all these sort of things so so I'm, I'm i'm okay with that but the biology part is 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 kind of new and i'm just glad that uh, at, 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 the, at the ripe age of 51 i can still learn about new things so. <laughs> <laughs> okay so can you give us a, a detailed explanation of what solene is and then can you give us a detailed explanation, if possible, of how a physicist would explain it and then how a biologist would explain oh, it? Oh, well, that's a hard one. The second one was a little <laughs> hard one. Okay, but Soline, <laughs> what is Soline? So at the core of solar foods is, is this single cell microbe that's called Soline. And uh, <clears throat> the, the solar foods founding team, you know, they had done years of hard work uh, before we uh, actually founded the company and then at the early phase of the company, of screening for environmental samples um, for a specific kind of bacteria. Um, because, uh, you know, at, at that early stage, uh, the team had understood that if we could <clears throat> make food with a hydrogen oxidizing bacteria, that could be really quite interesting from a sustainability, uh, energy efficiency and uh, uh, also, a nutrition standpoint. <clears throat> so, so they had they they uh, you know hundreds, if not thousands, of environmental samples were collected and screened, and lo and behold, uh, the team at Solar Foods then discovered Soline, uh, which is a single cell naturally occurring bacterium. Uh, uh, it was basically isolated from the Finnish countryside. Uh, I believe it's not. Uh, uh, it's 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 a it holds many passports. I mean, it's not just in Finland. I, I think it's uh, it's it's probably can be found uh, in many places in the on the planet. And it is a very kind of a peculiar uh, little guy in the sense that instead of uh, like algae, but that uses light uh, to drive its metabolic machine, uh, or yeast that uses sugar to do the same. Soline is using hydrogen gas as the 
basically the, the gas to drive its, you know, machinery. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it, it lives in, in this, it has this uh, peculiar position uh, in the uh, ecosystem. Uh, and I believe it has something to do with the decay of organic matter. Uh, in that process, there are places where you actually have ample amounts of hydrogen available. And then, you know, this little guy has found this, its own sweet spot in the ecosystem uh, in that process. So, so, so that's one thing, that it, it oxidizes hydrogen is, is, is the main thing. Um, and then kind of a special magic or superpower of Solene, uh, in addition to that, is the fact that um, it, it is very rich in protein. Uh, and proteins are not created equal uh, in the sense that uh, the, the, you know, there are quality factors to it. And it's mainly to do with the amino acidic composition of the protein. And, and by hard work, uh, the Solar Foods team then found Solene which actually has an amino acidic composition that's very close to dried meat. So it's almost like beef-like protein from a single cell organism, which is really mm. pretty mind-blowing, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still mind-blown at the fact that it, that it can mirror it just by breaking down organic matter. Um, you mentioned that it has multi-passports. Uh, so can it be found anywhere on Earth? Um, uh, that's, that's a question that I really don't know the answer, but I think probably the Antarctic is maybe not a place where you find it, but you probably could <laughs> if you just dug, dug deep, deep enough, but I'm sure, you know, bacteria, they get all over the place. So, so I would, I would assume that it can be found pretty much anywhere. Interesting. So, but its origin, uh, not that it is only there, but was in Finland. That's where it was yeah. originally discovered. <clears throat> That's right, but but then you have to understand that you know this is a specific species of of uh, um, of a hydrogen oxidizing bacterium, uh, but it has several strains, uh, and the different strains are not necessarily similar uh, with their properties. So even though if you could find the same species of bacteria, you know, in Spain for for that matter, uh, it may not be the same strain and its properties. Uh, from a standpoint of nutrition could be could be quite different. Okay, understood. So what are the implications for a product like Solene? You know, what will impact will it have on Earth and then in space? So so our main mission here on Earth is is really to you know, our <laughs> the best spacecraft that we've ever built. Oh well we've never built it, but the best space spacecraft that we've ever traveled on is the Earth. Um uh, it, it gives us everything we need, uh, but it's a you know it's a it's a limited habitat. Uh, we're running out of space. We are running out of resources, and uh, we also have you know major challenges uh, with the planet when it comes to things like climate change and and the, the way we emit uh, greenhouse gases. So so the the promise of Solene is the fact that it's. Uh, Potentially, basically, a carbon-negative way of making food. Um, if we make... Okay, so what it needs, it needs the hydrogen. So if we make the hydrogen using renewable or CO2-free energy, we can make hydrogen without causing CO2 emissions. Um, and that's the energy source for the bacterium. As I mentioned, the 
carbon source for the bacterium is CO2, which we capture from the air. So we're basically sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere and feeding it to the bacterium. Um, uh, so, so that gives the promise that it could be carbon negative. The other thing that's like super important is the fact that if you just compare from say kilowatt hours to calories, uh, just pure, just, you know, energy efficiency, the energy efficiency of uh, solene uh, uh, in, you know, making a kilogram of solene. So kilowatt hours to calories, it's about 120 times more efficient than an animal uh, and, and something like 20 times more efficient than a plant. So, so it, it is just a very, very energy efficient way of making food compared to, surprisingly, uh, uh, the, let's say, the old-fashioned, old-school, natural ways of, of producing proteins. Uh, but the reason is that, you know, nature hasn't optimized for energy efficiency. It's optimized for other things. Uh, but we have really optimized by technology uh, the process of actually growing a naturally occurring, non-genetically modified organism to grow like crazy and produce meat-like protein at the end. Uh, then the other things which are really important for sustainability and, and just, you know, being good tenants of our spacecraft uh, is the fact that we, uh, the solium production uses something like 0.1% of the water that you require to pr uh, grow one kilo of protein in comparison to livestock. Uh, water use and land use, about the same fraction something like 0.1, 0.2% of, of the same water, uh, of the water use or the land use. And the reason why we don't have this land use issue, uh, and this is actually quite important, <coughs> is the fact that, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, there's no agricultural input um, into the process. We are not feeding it sugars. If you are feeding, if you're making protein with yeast, you, you basically need to feed it sugars. Uh, and if you need the sugar, you need the sugar canes. And you have a sugarcane farm somewhere, um, so so you don't need that. Um, uh, and, and another comparison would be against algae. So algae, like I mentioned, uses light to drive its metabolic machine. But the kilowatt hours to calories efficiency of algae is is you know decade you know it's several tens of times worse than for hydrogen oxidizing bacteria. So it's just a very efficient microbial machine of turning energy into protein incredible incredible explanation as well too so this uh, yeah. hydrogen, sorry hydrogen oxidizing so how do you say it? hydrogen oxidizing protein it's uh, hydrogen, negative. hydrogen oxidizing bacteria is, bacteria. is, is yeah so, and and, right. and it doesn't express protein itself uh mm -hmm. but it just has a lot of protein in it um, uh, also, kind of an important uh, feature uh, is that it's not always the case that if you if you produce microbial biomass for protein, uh, you could have issues with uh, what's called endotoxins. So this would be sort of you know bits and pieces of the DNA uh, that escape the the cell body, and and they not all those. I mean, endotoxins are. They're called toxins because, you, you know, you're not supposed to be eating those, at least in large quantities. Uh, mm -hmm. We've been very lucky uh, also. Uh, oh, well, it's not luck. It's hard work <laughs> in screening the right organism. But, but that, the fact that solene does not produce endotoxins. So it's, it's really very safe to be eaten for that matter. Okay. So just as a, as a recap. 
This hydrogen oxidizing bacteria is carbon negative, 120 times more efficient than animal protein production. It has less water usage, less land usage, um, and all these positive benefits, right? Mm -hmm. But do you do you foresee public acceptance challenges or regulatory issues when yeah. it comes to producing it on a large scale? No, uh, so, yeah, that's a good, great question. Uh, we don't foresee any anything major. Um, there is a uh, uh, in many places on the, in the world. So this uh, entails the European Union, the U.S., many other countries uh, have this legislation that's called novel food. Uh, so basically, in the EU context, it means that anything that hasn't been consumed by in large quantities for extended periods of time as food prior to the year 1997 is considered as a novel food. And it needs to be proven to be safe for extended human uh, consumption. Um, microbial foods are uh, considered as a, a, as a very uh, potential and uh, uh, like a very potential way of making protein in the future. So, so we have filed, uh, uh, it's called uh, like a novel food approval dossier, which is a, you know, it's a giant pile of data uh, of laboratory tests. Uh, in the US case, it also involves uh, um, testing with rats, uh, just to show that you have you, th there are no adverse health effects. So, so we understand exactly uh, the composition of the protein, both the macronutrient and the micronutrient composition of the food. And, and that dossier we have submitted for the European Union uh, more than a year ago, almost two years ago. Uh, and we actually already uh, received our first novel food approval from the government of Singapore uh, as of September last year. And, uh, and, and the Singapore approval is a huge milestone for the company because it's the same, it's the same data uh, that we have submitted to the EU. We are submitted to the US FDA. Uh, and we have no reason to believe that if Singapore now approved us, uh, why would uh, the, e the EU or US not approve us? It's just a machinery that is relatively, uh, how would I say, involved. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, long and involved and convoluted process, uh, but we are 100% sure that we will, we will receive that approval uh, in the coming years. Um, what was your other question, uh, regulatory? Was there something else? Yeah, would you do you foresee public acceptance challenges? Oh, right, because, right, public. Yeah, yeah. But most most people they they like their their chicken, their beef, their their yeah. natural meats, and you know something that's grown from from the earth, when, like you know vegetables and so forth. But uh, now you have this incredible you know thing that's that's created this this hydrogen oxidizing bacteria. Do you think people are going to readily accept it? Yeah. So. So what, what is the end product that we produce? It's a kind of a yellowish orange powder. Um, uh, so, you know, our idea is not to have people eat the powder. Uh, even you, <laughs> though I, I've, I've, I've eaten the powder and it's, it's not disgusting. I mean, it has this kind of a rich taste of umami is, is how I can describe it. Uh, actually, actually, we've used external sensory panel ex experts uh, like to, to taste it mixed with mm -hmm. water and what they think. And it, that's one of the, yet another kind of a superpower of Solene. It doesn't have a, 
particularly strong taste of its own. But the idea is that solen is a food ingredient. So at Solar Foods, we actually have a food team uh, who are running a food laboratory, uh, which is a fancy name for a kitchen. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's really quite a fancy kitchen. Um, but there, the whole team over there is focused on developing recipes uh, where we, we replace things like milk or egg uh, in, in, in the recipes. So, so we have actually produced a very broad variety of uh, foodstuffs, uh, starting from uh, jerky. So, so we would mix the solene, quite a large fraction of solene with some oil and some heat extrusion, and you get this kind of meat-like texture. Okay, you would have to flavor it as well, and that we've done. Uh, we've made uh, noodles and pasta. We've made uh, uh, br- bread where we have no egg. Uh, it's just solene. Uh, we've made uh, protein shakes, protein bars, uh, cheese, uh, ice cream. So, so we can address a very broad variety of foodstuffs. And they are, um, you know, I've had some of these dishes and they are delicious. <laughs> uh, they, it, it, it is a food ingredient. So the main thing, is it palatable or not, is that what kind of recipe is it that you, you develop uh, or, or apply it into? And uh, then it's really up to the chef, you know, I mean, uh, how is the palatability? Now, there are some other uh, dimensions to accessibility, which are religious, uh, uh, which is also relevant. Uh, we actually received a halal uh, certificate quite recently, so, so it's considered wow. halal. Kosher, we've not done yet, but uh, we have no reason to believe that we wouldn't be kosher uh, as well. So we will get that audit done, I think, once we get the factory, the big factory running, which is, you know, will be finalized by the end of this year. So, so this is, this is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I, so, so I think to compare to many alter, other alternative protein sources, so, you know, what we've had around for a long time are like insects, and uh, I've had the insects myself. I have no issue with that, but you know, some people just don't like e- eating insects. Whereas the microbial protein is because it is just a powder. Uh, it really, it doesn't have that yuck, yucky sort of a. It doesn't generate that yucky response because it, it is just a ingredient. Right. It, it wasn't crawling around before it came to your no, plate. It right. Was, yeah. I, I I love that. It's a food ingredient. And I, I, I do feel that after these 10 or so questions that I have a, a greater understanding and our audience will have a greater understanding of what solene is and what it could be as well, too. It's going to revolutionize um, yeah. the food market as we know it. And I, I really do want to address your question about the space. And why is it that we are uh, have been so successful in the Deep Space Food Challenge? Please, please. Uh, I, I, This is my, my day job is <laughs> to think about space food production. So... So what makes Solene so uniquely well positioned for space? It, it is actually a really interesting thing. So if you think about a space habitat, and I, I will use the ISS as a well-established platform that you know we've been flying for 30 years and, and it, will, it will go on for some other time, maybe until 2035. But mm-hmm. it's, it's basically, you, uh, this is, this is uh, universal uh, comparing uh, to any other uh, future space station, whether it's Axiom Space or Cirrus Space or uh, any any one of the uh, uh, future commercial habitats. So, what does every commercial habitat fly? So they fly a crew, and the crew needs what to not to suffocate. They need oxygen. So, 
how do they get their oxygen? Uh, they actually fly a, on board the ISS, they fly an electrolyzer. Uh, so the, the purpose for the electrolyzer is called the oxygen generation assembly. The purpose for the electrolyzer is to split water into hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, so the, uh, the oxygen is given to the crew uh, to replenish the oxygen in the air so that they, they respirate. But the hydrogen uh, is currently, uh, it's actually, it goes out of the window. It's mostly lost. Some of it is used together uh, uh, with a process that's called a sabatier reactor to scrub the air for some of the CO2, uh, to, to remove some of the CO2 from the atmosphere. And it, uh, at that point, it gets turned into methane. But the methane, which is, you know, CH4, goes also out of the window. Uh, mm. so, so if you think uh, you're splitting a volume of water into oxygen and hydrogen, uh, and you lose the hydrogen, you lose that water. You will no, no longer have the chance to burn the hydrogen and oxygen back into water. And, and this is the reason why the ISS uh, loses about 1,200 kilos of water per year because of the oxygen production and the incomplete recovery of hydrogen. Uh, so what we've been suggesting is that, hey, let's, let's put a bioreactor, let's put our gas fermentation system on board the ISS because our bacteria uses the hydrogen. And it actually, in addition to producing protein, it produces water. Uh, because there is, so in simple terms, what happens is that uh, you, in the bioreactor, you, you inject the CO2. By the way, the CO2 you get from the cabin because the uh, astronauts are exhaling CO2. So, so we, we capture the CO2 from the cabin atmosphere. Uh, the bacteria gets also fed the hydrogen. And uh, that metabolism basically captures the C from the CO2 and spits out the O2. And then O2 and H2 are happily buried together again. And out comes water. So we argue that by using this hydrogen fermentation uh, of solene on board a space habitat, we can basically negate the loss of that 1,200 kilos of water per year. Eliminate uh, the waste. Eliminate the waste. And there's an economic reason for this. So the estimated cost of uh, upmass cost of supplying a habitat at Leo uh, for to the tune of 1,200 kilos of water per year, it's more than 40 million US per year. Wow. So, so we think we can actually save a lot of money. Not only because we, you don't need to launch the sausage and steak up to the orbit, for the protein, but in addition, actually sort of three quarters of that saving is the, the savings in water that we can introduce to the overall ecosystem. So we would actually integrate as a part of the ICLAS, the environmental control and life support system. And, and kind of the strongest argument for mass savings comes through the water savings, in addition of having a fresh source of protein on board. Uh, there, there will be some other uh, foodstuffs need to be produced on board because, like I said, we are the protein source. So, so there's ample opportunities for people who are doing like aeroponic, aeroponic farming, um, you know, vegetables, fruits. Um, you know, they make the salad, we make the dressing, basically. <laughs> I love it. It's a symbiotic relationship for sure. Absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's really, really cool. It's like an autocatalytic environment where you're producing 
you know, oxygen, but also by that process, it's a catalyst to producing water and saving and producing a protein source as well, too. So that it's just, it's a symbiotic yep. relationship on board as well, too. So every, everything is being used and nothing's being wasted. Yeah. And, uh, in, in space, actually, there is a chance for like a truly circular uh, nutrient loop. Uh, it's, it's, it's not solar foods uh, part, but uh, there are waste recovery technologies that could actually uh, break down all of the human waste that's produced on board. So that would be urine uh, and solid waste uh, back into minerals, CO2 and water. And you could actually have a loop of nutrients, uh, you know, and it gets completely sterilized in the process. So, you know, you're not eating your own poo. Uh, so, 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 so the only input would be the electricity. And that point, at that point, you, you would be truly producing food out of thin air with just electricity. Wow. Well, what a cap to put on this conversation. I have one more question for you. Sure. One more question for you. What message would you, would you like to leave with our audience? So this can be, um, the products that are coming down the pipeline, things that we can do, how we can find you. What, what would you like to to leave as a message to those who are listening? Oh, uh, that's a big one. Um, well, we are very active on um, uh, social media. So if you just you know search for Solar Foods on, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, or um, LinkedIn, or Twitter, you will find us. We are very active on social media. So we, we have updates coming out almost weekly now. Uh, there's going to be some really big news coming up uh, at the end of, towards the end of this year, once we get our factory which will be producing about a hundred, hundred tons of soline per year. Um, so, so, and we are already, uh, <clears throat> uh, designing our next factory, which would be another factor of a hundred. So maybe about 10,000 tons, uh, no decisions made on that yet. Uh, we are, <clears throat> we also quite recently uh, announced a partnership with a Japanese food manufacturing company called Ajinomoto. Uh, so, so this is one of the uh, one of the first that we will start uh, engaging in strategic partnerships with large food manufacturing companies. So, so my hope uh, and I, my actually strong belief is that in the ne next few years, uh, once you start reading the side of the package of the things that you buy from the market, you would actually uh, see soline as the source of protein on those. So, that's going to happen. It's just uh, a few years ahead of us. Incredible. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. I really did appreciate and enjoy your explanation of Solene, where it comes from, how you got into it. Um, and in the future that we're looking forward to, a future of sustainability, less waste on Earth and in space, you know, that future is becoming a reality because of the work that you're doing. So thank you very much, Dr. Lukin. We really appreciate you spending the time here with us. Thank you, Luke. I truly enjoyed it. And uh, you'll be a steady subscriber of the podcast from now on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I hope to taste it one day soon. If, if I'm ever in Finland, I'm definitely going to look well, you up. Co consider yourself invited if you ever <laughs> land over this way. Thank you. So here's the here's last question. that we. It's a customary question we ask all of our podcast uh, guests. Mm -hmm. What are you reading right now? And what is your favorite album? What am I reading right now? Well, I... Does, does, do audiobooks actually count? Everything counts, yes. <laughs> All right. So, so um, let's see. I'm, I'm actually listening to several books at the same time. Uh, due to uh, due to the current uh, events, I'm actually reading Sergei Plohi's Rus The Russia-Ukrainian War. 
He's mm. a brilliant Ukrainian writer. Uh, he's he's got one of the best books on Chernobyl. If if you're interested about the Chernobyl disaster, the Serhi Plohi book on that is is the seminal work. Uh, I am listening to the beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch, uh, which is great. And uh, just to lighten things up a little bit, I, I actually for the second time I listened to. Andy Weir's Project Hail Mary, uh, which I find to be one of the funniest science, hard science fiction books out there. And I, I heard that there's a movie coming out, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Well, thank you. And your favorite album of all time? Uh, favorite album, let's see. Uh, uh, I have a very mixed taste. Uh, being a Finn, there's lots of heavy metal, but let's not go into <laughs> that. Uh, but I do have... Uh, uh, I actually have a playlist that I've been listening to a lot, which is uh, the the soundtrack from The White Lotus, season two, mm, which is like this great. Italian disco sort of thing, which is brilliant. I'm going to look it up for sure. Thank you so much for your time. This is the Elongevity Podcast. We also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Methuselah Foundation. We appreciate the mission that they're on to make 90 the new 50 by 2030, sponsoring the Deep Space Food Challenge, which is how we met. So I appreciate that. And we thank all of our listeners for being here as well, too. Good night.